right, there's a couple things I want to do today. Um, we got something at the end we want to do as a church family. Um, but before then, I do feel like the Lord gave me something. You know, if you haven't, um, if you weren't here a number of weeks ago, I did a message on 50 and Pentecost and, and the power of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Um, Paul followed up by that, uh, I think, two weeks ago with a message on the Spirit and our desire to thirst for it. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is an amazing part of the New Testament life and ministry. Anything we do is the result of the power of the Holy Spirit. I wanted to kind of follow up on that again. You know, when we talked about that 50, I, I've told y'all when I, when I shared that, if you hadn't heard those messages, by the way, we have a podcast. Everything we preach gets put on podcast and it's also on YouTube. So if you go to Morningstar Wilmington uh, on YouTube, we have all our services online. You can go back and check out messages done. Um, you know, like it, subscribe it. You know, it, um, the podcasts are even better because uh, if you're just trying to get the word because you're, you don't have to fast forward through things you don't want to see like those announcements. Uh, and you can um, just get right to it. And it's been edited a little bit to take out some of the, the fuzziness that sometimes come through in the video. But you can check out those messages. I'm going to follow up on that message. But I want to talk to you because 50, you know, numbers are part of God's language. Do y'all realize that? The book of the Bible, uh, there's a whole book of the Bible that's called Numbers. Why is that? Because numbers matter. Numbers are as much a part of the message as the, the language is. It is, a, it is a language. Numbers are languages. They mean things. That's why you see 40 over and over and over again throughout the scriptures. Why you see, uh, you know, seven and eight and all these numbers that just have messages behind them. And so when I see numbers I, that pop up in ways that get my attention, I began to start paying attention and I'm like, Lord, are you trying to tell me something? And I've had that happen a lot where, you know, you just get a number that keeps popping up in your day over and over again to the point you're like, okay, something's up with this number. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Well, 50, I've been seeing 50 all year long, like constantly, daily, over and over and over again. Wake up at something 50, you know, like it'll be like 650 or or. You know, and then you go through and you look at your phone right after you look at your clock and your phone's on 50%. And then, you know, you're going through and, and just 50, 50, 50, 50. And it took me a while, but I finally began to recognize what the Lord was saying. And he was talking about Pentecost. Pentecost, the word Pentecost means 50 in the Greek. It, um, it is referencing the 50 days from the Sabbath after the Passover to the Feast of Weeks. They call it the Feast of Weeks because they're, they're counting 50. You know, it's, uh, and then so you get to the 50 days. And in the New Testament, the 50 was when the baptism of the Holy Spirit came. It's when the Spirit fell. Now, I did a whole message on this. I'm not going to redo it, but I do highly encourage you, listen to that message. It was uh, three weeks ago, I believe. And it explained the difference between being born again 
and the baptism of the Holy Spirit because there is a difference, I believe, and I think the Scripture plays that out. And I went through Scripture after Scripture to kind of make that point. But it's interesting to me that the 50, Jesus said, when the Holy Spirit comes, you will be clothed with power from on high. We need power in the church. We need it. We desperately need it. We can't be who we're called to be without the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said the works, he said, he was talking to the Pharisees. He said, even though you don't believe my word, at least believe in the miracles that give testimony to me. The miracles, the works that Jesus did testified to who he was. And he said, the works I do, you shall do an even greater work shall you do because I go to the Father. Over and over and over and over throughout the scripture, God used power to, rev- to confirm the word that was being spoken. That's, I've, there's been teaching out that, that has, and I understand the purpose of the teaching, but there's been some kind of teaching that's been released that that's not the case. That, but that is not true. Paul said that the gospel I preach, I don't come to you in mere words of wisdom, human wisdom, but I come in demonstration of the power of the Spirit. So that your faith may not rest on mere words of wisdom, but on power. And he said the power of the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit comes, there's power. He is power. And we need that power working in our church. How do you expect an unbeliever to, especially like Muslim countries, people that have grown up with, a, with being taught one thing their whole life, their whole society, everything about their, their society is, is Islam, Islam, Islam. Or it could be said true for Hinduism or Buddhism. You know, people that grow up ingrained in this stuff. You expect them just to hear some dude talking about Jesus and just drop what they've been doing their whole life and just turn automatically? Now, I, don't, don't get me wrong. I understand that God can anoint words that he'll use to grab people. That does happen. John the Baptist was the greatest prophet of the old, old order, and he never did a miracle. Okay, I understand that his words were so anointed, much like uh, Jonah in Nineveh. He went with such anointing on his words that it caused the whole city to repent. But Jesus' example was power, and he said, the very power that I do testifies to who I am. And he told the church that when he sent them out, both the 12 and the 70, he sent them out. He said, heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out demons. He said this. This was instruction to the church. The church age, when introduced with the baptism of the Holy Spirit, there was power that happened. You look through the whole book of Acts. Miracle after miracle after miracle after signs after wonder. That is God's typical plan to release salvation to people is to Preach the word with signs and wonders that follow confirming the word. Now, the word 50, it's pretty interesting to me because the Lord's been tying this to the 50, the Pentecost, you know, the Holy Spirit falling. But in the 1950s, in our country and really around the world, there was a revival. How many know a little bit about the revival of the 50s that took place in the 1950s? Raise your hand. I just want to see. Okay, so the majority of the room is unaware about the revival of the 1950s. Is that correct? How many have never heard of it? I just want to make sure I know who I'm talking to. 
Okay. So there's some that don't know if you've heard of it or not. Okay. <laughs> uh, that's all right. That's, that's right. Um, so around 1946, 47, maybe even 45, God began to do a move that really took off and blossomed throughout the 50s. It found its way to about 1958, it began to wane. Okay, this was probably referenced as the healing revival of the 50s. It was also uh, called the Voice of Healing, which there became a magazine that was printed in the 50s. There was uh, amazing things that God was doing with some evangelists who were traveling around the country and the world. And when I say amazing things, I'm talking like Jesus-level Jesus miracles. People's limbs growing out, crippled bodies, bones popping back and getting in order, eyeballs that, couldn't, that weren't there being formed. And this was all stuff that was documented by doctors. This is stuff, as a matter of fact, uh, one of the leading men of this was a guy named William Branham. And there was a congressman, I believe out of California, named William D. Upshaw. And he had been bedridden most of his life, 59 out of the 66 years that he... I'm sorry, he had been crippled, I believe it was 59 out of the 66 years that he had lived. The last seven years of his life, he was bedridden. And this guy was famous in the country because he was a congressman. Well, he goes to the William Branham meetings. He gets dramatically healed, and the guy threw away his crutches and could walk, run, I mean, whatever. He was healed. He was dramatically healed, and it brought such a... Um, uh, national attention to William Brannan. Um, a lot of these men, and I'm going to mention them because the Bible says to honor your fathers and mothers. One of the things that will, Rick had a word where the Lord spoke to Rick and he said, if we would honor our fathers and the mothers, he would send, the God would send a revival. And he gave Rick a time frame. If we would honor his father and mothers. One of the things that we have not done well is honored our fathers and our mothers. And the, one of the ways that we honor our fathers and mothers is not just your physical father, though it's certainly true for that, but it's all the fathers, the fathers of the faith, the fathers of your country. You know, we, we don't even hardly know about our fathers and mothers. And that's some of the way we've dishonored them is by not knowing their history. To honor your father and mother, what you're really doing is you're acknowledging that they have lived through something and that they have something to give. When you honor a person, they're not, we're not honoring perfect people. We're honoring people. Okay, God didn't say honor your perfect father and your perfect mother. He said honor your father and mother. Everybody has flaws and mistakes, but we can learn from the good, bad, and the ugly of a life that has been lived. Okay, And that's one of the ways that we honor our fathers is by looking back on their life and trying to learn from them the good, the bad, and the ugly. We all got good. I mean, look at the Bible. How many heroes of the faith had good, bad, and ugly in their life? And the Bible lets us know about the good, bad, and the ugly. It doesn't hide it. It doesn't cover it up. Because there's lessons to be learned. And same is true with these men. These were not perfect men. A lot of these men actually had incredible failure that came in their lives under the power that they were walking in. That, too, is a lesson that we have to learn from. Have to. 
But a lot of these men went on to have very successful lives and ministries that when I start mentioning some of them, you'll know, you'll know their names. Some of them you won't know. But these are men that have paid a price because in the time period that God was pouring out his spirit in such a mighty way, the persecution that was going on against these ministries was incredible. I mean, they would come into cities and the police would come and say, you're not meeting. I don't care that you got a permit. I don't care that you not. We don't care. You're not meeting. And they'd take them to jail. And you know what they'd take them to jail for? One of the key ways that the enemy would attack these people, they were having such dramatic healing in their things that they said they were practicing medicine without a license because people were getting healed. (laughs) And so the only way the enemy could stop that was to try to find a loophole to figure out. I mean, isn't that like the devil? You see a lot of those tactics being used today. There it is, 11.50. I just looked at the clock up there. It's 11.50, just saying. (laughs) Um, so these guys walked in and they had incredible persecution from the, the church the church was one of the biggest culprits for persecuting these, these, these uh, evangelists and they had flaws, they weren't perfect but let's just a moment mention them just to honor them uh, Jack Coe, how many heard of him? Okay, William Branham one of the most powerful ministries he's got an error at the end of his life no doubt about it um, and, but he, is, he walked in something, and he showed us some of the things that what's available today. I mean, I'm talking just power. I mean, you should go, and, I'm, and the reason I'm telling you this is I want you guys to go back and look at their lives. See what God did in their lives. Look them up. Honor them by hearing their story. There's a book upstairs, there's a book upstairs that you're welcome to read while you're here. It's called God's Generals, and it goes through a lot of these people's lives and talks about the good, bad, and the ugly. If you, don't have, if, you, if you want to get that book, you can probably order it from any bookstore. It's called God's Generals. It's a fantastic look at these men's lives and women's lives. And, uh, and a number of the 50 revivalists were in that. So Jack Coe, William Brannan, Oral Roberts. Was, William Brannan and Oral Roberts were probably the two leading men that were being used in this way. A.A. A. Allen. Uh, Paul Kane, uh, Gordon Lindsay, who really helped make the Voice of Healing magazine what it was in that day. Um, T.L. Osborne, Lester Summerall, Moore Cerullo, uh, Jack Moore, Catherine Kuhlman. Um, there were, the peak of this was, like I said, was from about 47 to 57, so about a 10 year span. There were over 100 evangelists associated with the Voice of Healing. I want to read something. I'm just honoring these guys for a minute. Um, I took a screenshot of something. I just want to read it to you. Some of the results from this revival. The doctrine of divine healing was made popular. A, A good chunk of the church, not all the church, but a good chunk of the church realizes that healing is part of the gospel today because of what these men were willing to walk through. I mean, there's, there's a large portion of the body that still don't accept divine healing. But uh, a good chunk of the church, maybe if not most of the church, I think at least believes God wants to heal. And that's because of these men fighting through persecution in a time when that was um, not really believed. 
There were many thousands of genuine healings. Tens of thousands were converted to Christ. Pentecostalism was revitalized. Pentecostalism, just, just so if you know, Pentecost, once again, Penta, 50. Pentecostalism was, regardless of the way you um, think about the word when you hear Pentecostal, the original thing about Pentecostal, the Pentecostal churches was that they believed in the baptism of the Holy Spirit with signs, wonders, miracles. They believed in praying in tongues, which the Bible is very clear about. I want to do a message on that maybe soon. Let's talk about tongues. And, and I know it's weird, and, but it's the one thing that the Holy Spirit released over and over and over again every time someone would get baptized in the Holy Spirit. And I want to honor what He honors. And it may be weird for our mind, and it may be hard for some people to embrace tongues because they think, this is stupid, it doesn't make sense, you sound weird. I don't care. If he doesn't care, why should I care? And he doesn't care. I want what he wants, and I want to honor what he honors. And he honored it. Paul said, I, I pray in tongues more than all of you in the book of Corinthians. He said that. And he said, I would have that you all pray in tongues. So praying in tongues is very legitimate, and I, will, I hope to do a teaching on that very soon. Uh, so Pentecostalism was revitalized. It paved the way for the charismatic movement and the Catholic charismatic renewal. That was a renewal where hundreds of thousands of Catholics started receiving the baptism in the Holy Spirit. We have brothers and sisters inside the Catholic Church. Just like we got brothers and sisters in about every denomination. And then we got a lot of people in those denominations that don't know the Lord. You know? Just because you go to a church don't make you a Christian. About as much as going and sitting in a garage makes you a car. It spawned the Full Gospel Businessmen's Fellowship International. Y'all heard of the Full Gospel Men's thing? That's, that was started by a, a group of these leaders. Um, it gave lead way to the Latter Rain Movement in Canada. Many missionaries received a call to foreign mission work. Initiatives and evangelism spread around the globe. It was an extensive display of God's power. Walls between those of differing doctrines came down. The new generation of denominational leaders was less sectarian than were the founders. It did a lot of things. It was powerful. Now, with every move of God, there is issues that come because God's moving through people, and people are imperfect. We got flaws. We got ways that we get off track. And I want to talk real, hopefully briefly, uh, though I'm not real good at brief, um, about how we are called to walk in this because God wants to release power again. He, he does. I, I believe that there is a new... I want to be careful because I, I, I'm trying to express something that I don't have words to express. It's something that I see. The outpouring of the Holy Spirit is going to be more... You know, it was poured out in the book of Acts. It's not a different baptism. But I believe that the power of it will be... Is going to be greater than even what was in the book of Acts, probably due to more people receiving it. But it's also going to be because there will be 
uh, miracles and signs and wonders that are going to be released because of the need for them that's going to be on a level that the world has never seen before. All of these little revivals that happened, they were tokens. They're tokens. And how do I know that? Jesus said that he saved his best wine for last. That first miracle that Jesus did was a prophetic message that God's best was going to get poured out. Wine speaks of the Spirit in the, in the Bible uh, symbolism. You see it over and over again. Do not be drunk with, with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. When the, when the, in the book of Acts, when the Spirit was poured out, they thought they were drunk with wine. So there is a, when Jesus did this miracle of turning water into wine, he was telling us something. And, he's, and, and that miracle, where he says that it saved his best wine for last, that's what the head of the banquet said. My goodness, who does this? You saved your best wine for last. And I'm telling you that I know for a fact from everything that within me and everything I read in this book and everything I sense by the Holy Spirit that there's an outpouring, a harvest at the end of the age. Jesus said the end of the age is the harvest. There is a harvest and an outpouring that's coming upon, I believe, this generation that is so powerful. We're just not, we're not going to have to compare ourselves to anybody because of the greatness of the Spirit that's going to get released in our midst. It's coming. And I know that's why the Lord speaks in the 50s, because He's wanting to stir our hearts up because we can get prepared begin to have expectation, and begin praying into this. Because God wants to move. He wants to move in power. We've had some taste here. We've had little scratchings of the surface. We've had some miracles that take place here. But I'm telling you, there's something coming. There's no grid for it. There's no grid for what is coming. I'm telling you that. I want to be prepared for it. And I believe the Lord has in part given me a key for us to know how to walk in this today. And it's not a key in the sense that you just grab it and use it. Because the key really is a learning process that we have to begin to allow it to work into our lives. And to the degree that we are allowing this to work in our lives will be the degree that this key works to unlock the power of the Spirit in our midst. Um, I wrote this down, and I love it. It says, God loves miracles. He loves them. Catherine Kuhlman used to start off all her meetings with a very, you know, you know some say it was crazy sounding, but who cares? She said, I believe in miracles. And there's something about setting the atmosphere. I believe in miracles. I believe in them. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And Jesus healed every single person that came to him. Not one person left Jesus without being healed. The only people that came to him, that, that, the only person that he ever refused to heal got healed. Y'all know that? Phoenician woman, he refused to heal her. And he even told her, it's not good to give the children's bread to the dogs. It's tough. And what did she say? But even the dogs feed from the crumbs that fall from the master's table. 
Even the dogs, other translations, even the dogs feed from the, the crumbs that fall from the children's table. What does that tell us? Two things. One, he said, go, your faith is so great. Be it done for you as you've believed. Her faith drew something out of Jesus that at least outwardly he said he wasn't going to do. Faith is a key that unlocks things. Other thing is, it tells us is that healing is the children's bread. Are we children? That's our bread. What did Jesus tell us to pray? Give us this day our daily bread. Healing is your daily bread. God wants you healed. He wants it more than you want it. I know sometimes, I know we say, like I just said that, and I know people said, they just had a, like a stutter in their heart, like, uh, like we really don't believe that. And I think that's the problem. You know, Jesus went into his hometown, and he could do only lay his hands on a few sick people, and it says because of their doubt and unbelief. Well, what did Jesus turn around and do right after that? He went into the villages teaching. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. When Jesus saw that they didn't have faith, he went into their villages and started teaching so that faith could arise. Even Jesus, to a degree, was limited in what he could do among the people because of their atmosphere of doubt. So his answer to that was to go and teach faith, to go and teach the gospel, to go and, and teach. And that's what a lot of the healing that came, a lot of the teaching that came forth from the 50s of these men were bringing our faith back up to what the Bible actually says is that God wants you well. And he healed everybody that came to him. God's going to heal. I believe, I'm going to say this in faith. I don't have revelation on this, but God's going to heal some people today. I believe that because why do I say that? That's who he is. It's who he is, and we want to honor him, and we want to give room for what he's going to do. And there's some other things, too, I want to do. All right, so here's some quick keys. I'm going to go through this quick because we got some stuff we want to do today, including praying for the sick. Um, but I just want to say this one more time. There's prophetic ministry coming off of coming that's going to blow the world away. There's a prophetic ministry that's coming with apostolic and prophetic anointing, and there's going to be healing. There's going to be deliverance. It's going to be the dead is going to be raised on a regular basis. It's, there is a power that the church is going to come into to reveal God to all the earth before the end comes. Y'all know that scripture that says that um, the gospel has to be preached in all the world and then the end will come? Well, we think, well, you know, if people go around the world and tell everybody that Jesus died on the cross for their sins, that that's the gospel. And as long as everybody's heard that, then it's okay, Jesus can come back. I don't personally believe that. Here's what Paul said about the gospel. He said, I had fully preached the gospel from Jerusalem as far as to that city that I hate pronounce, Illyriconium or whatever it is, with signs, wonders, and miracles. Paul's definition in the scripture of, fu of fully preaching the gospel was telling about Jesus and what he did, but also releasing signs, wonders, and miracles. Why? Because they reveal who Jesus is. They reveal Jesus. 
Without signs, wonders, and miracles, the world will not see Jesus who he is because the Jesus that we see in the Bible had signs, wonders, and miracles. So how can we reveal this Jesus to the world that we're supposed to be witnesses of without signs, wonders, and miracles? We can't. And so to my mind, and what I see and believe is that when the gospel comes in power, as Paul said, not words of, of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the power of the Spirit, when that gospel is fully confirmed and preached to the whole world, then the end will come. And I think there's a difference between those two thought processes. So here's the key. Matthew 4.19 Jesus said to his disciples, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Everybody know that scripture, right? I love this scripture. He said, follow me and I, Jesus talking, will make you fishers of men. Whatever your calling is, in this case, God was calling Peter and his brother to come follow him, and he was going to make them fishers of men, going after men and gaining their heart. And that we're all called to that, all of us. But whatever your calling is, the only way for you to accomplish it is to follow him. I could, I mean, that really is, I'm going to further back this up a little bit, but really that's the message. Follow him. It's simple, not easy. Very simple, not easy. It's so simple that Jesus constantly said it. It's so hard that Jesus constantly said it. <laughs> if this was easy, we would have arrived already. John 5.30. Actually, I'm going to read John 5.30 and John 5.19 out of order. In John 5.30, it says, I can do nothing on my own initiative. You hear that? Jesus, the Son of the living God, who came to us as a man, said, He can do nothing of His own initiative. I'm going to take an initiative and go do this today. What does that mean? That means I am going in my own desire and will to go do something. I'm just going to go do this. I'm taking the initiative. I'm just going to do this. Vic knows what this means because he's taken the initiative and done some stuff around the church without asking permission, and he got some stuff done, and it's awesome. <laughs> Thank you, Vic. Uh, but he took initiative. Jesus says, I can do nothing on my own initiative. Jesus said this. As I hear, I judge. And my judgment's just or correct or right because I do not seek my own will, but the will of Him who sent me. Guys, I am learning more and more about this and how in reality... This is so much deeper than we realize. How much of our life is spent seeking our own will? Even as believers that, that read our Bible and go to church, and we still spend the majority of our life seeking our own will. I want to go on this vacation. I want to go take this job in this 
place. I want to move here or move there. I think I'll go to college here. Jesus said he did nothing under his own initiative. He only did what he heard. Think about that. What if the church got into the place where they didn't do anything that they didn't hear the Spirit of God tell them to do? No more doing good works, good programs, but only doing the thing that God initiated. Bob Jones used to say this, and I have lear- I'm learning this and have learned this, and I'm going to continue to learn this because I'm not there yet, but he says he only appreci- God only appreciates what he initiates. And I believe that is true. He's not interested in our good ideas. He's not interested in our thoughts. I mean, he is as a relational level. He loves us. He wants to hear our thoughts. He wants to hear from us. He wants to know what we're thinking about on a relational level. But when it comes to the works that God wants to release in the earth through our lives, he's not interested in what we're wanting to do. He's not interested in our plan. And that's why Jesus said, if any man wants to come after me, if any man wants to follow me, let him deny himself, pick up his cross and follow me. You want to follow Jesus and be a Christian, it will cost you everything. Hundreds of thousands, if not millions of Christians throughout the ages who have believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, I believe they're going to heaven, but they continue to live for themselves. And the, the call to die to ourselves to follow Jesus is rarely picked up by believers. We may even do it for a season of our life and then slowly drift out of it. Every day, Jesus said daily, pick up your cross, follow me. Every day is a decision that we have to make. Today, I'm following the Spirit of God. So Jesus said, I can do nothing of himself unless it is something he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, these things the Son also does in like manner. So the ministry that Jesus had, he did as a result of looking to the Father to see what the Father was doing so he could then imitate or act out what he saw the Father doing. Um, I'm going to read that over because I realized I, j- I jumped into that halfway. Uh, John five nineteen. Therefore Jesus answered and was saying to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself unless it is something he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, these things the Son also does in like manner. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all things that he himself is doing, and the Father will show him greater works than these so that you will marvel. Why was the Lord using Jesus like that? So that these people would marvel. They couldn't say that Jesus... They had, they had a witness, the Pharisees that crucified Jesus, they had a witness that Jesus was who he says he was because of all the works and signs and wonders. The key to this verse, and the reason I'm bringing it up, is that our tendency you know, is to tell God what we want him to do, and that's usually the way our prayer life works. And that's okay relationally. There's nothing wrong with that. I think we need to pray, tell God what we're wanting. But when it comes to time to... Being led by the Spirit and doing what God wants to do, like in a meeting or anywhere, in a job, anything. Our prayers would be a lot more effective if we stopped telling God what He needs to do and start asking God, what is He doing? I'm going to say it again. We need to stop telling God what He needs to do. 
There's this thing about us that thinks that we're God sometimes because he somehow he needs our opinion. God does not need your opinion. He knew every hair that was going to be on your head before you were born. He knows everything. There is nothing beyond His understanding. I mean, He knows every thought that's going on in every human all their life at every moment before anything was even made. He doesn't need our opinion. One of the things that I'm learning as a pastor who's leading meetings is I come in here and I'm like, you know, I have in the past been like, Hey, God, do this today. Lord, do this. Lord, I want to see the prophetic release. I want to see the... Da, da, da. I want to do... Da, da, da. That's idiotic. That's immature is what it is. And I have slowly begun to realize, cut it out, knucklehead. God, what are you want to do today? You're the coach. What is your game plan? What are you doing and how can I be involved to help you? And when we start seeing life like that, following the Holy Spirit, we're going to see things that we can't believe. Why? Because Jesus' miraculous power, signs and wonders worked because He was doing what He saw the Father doing. When we start to get in here and start listening to the Holy Spirit and doing what He says, we will always have success. I've prayed for hundreds of, I don't know how many people I've prayed for, to be honest with you, but it's been a lot. I've been praying for the sick all my adult life. I've seen some awesome healings. I have seen healings on people that I, I didn't know if God wanted me to pray for them, but I prayed for them, and I've seen them get healed. But I've seen a lot of people that I've prayed for without an unction from the Lord, and I didn't see anything happen. But I can tell you without without a doubt, every person that I heard the Lord tell me to pray for got healed instantly. Or, or shortly thereafter. I, have, I do know of a case where I prayed for somebody and they got healed the next day. They woke up healed. There is something about following that releases power. Um, you know, when you look at John 15, which is talking about abiding in the vine, Right? He, y'all look at that. I'm not going to go in there, but read John 15 this week. And then Romans 8, 14, it says, Those that are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. I believe that word son is referencing a builder of the, 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 name, the, the, builder of the house as in a mature son. Okay? The mature sons follow the Spirit. My sheep hear my voice, and another they will not follow. He didn't say my lambs. He said my sheep. When we grow up in maturity, we begin to follow the Holy Spirit. Um, Galatians 3.5 says, The Spirit works miracles. It talks about, So then, does he who provides you with the Spirit and works miracles among you? That was Galatians. Where are the miracles coming from? From the Holy Spirit. So then why are we not following him? Now, Jesus said, if you have faith and you say to the mountain, be taken up and cast in the sea and do not doubt in your heart, but believes that he would, what you said will come to pass, it shall be granted to you. All things you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it and it shall be granted to you. How many want to walk in that kind of faith? I do. Well, he tells us how to do it. Luke 17. Turn over there with me. And I am wrapping this up because I want to transition and do something special, I believe. All right, so in, in 
Luke 17, go down to verse 5. Okay, verse 5. The apostle said to the Lord, increase our faith. I don't know how many times I've said that to the Lord in my lifetime. I was like, man, Lord, I need more faith. I want to see mountains move. Well, as the Lord often did, he would give him this weird response that doesn't make sense to our dull minds. I mean, how many times does you know, Jesus do that in the scriptures? You know, like when the disciples came to Jesus and said, hey, there's some Greeks here that want to see you. Lest a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it abides alone. <laughs> what? <laughs> no, Lord, I, these guys want to see you. What, are we talking about planting seed? <laughs> so the apostle said to the Lord, increase our faith. And the Lord said, if you had faith like a mustard seed, you would say to the mulberry tree, be uprooted and be planted in the sea. And it would obey you. Okay? If you have faith as a mustard seed, little tiny seed, mustard seed's real tiny. Uh, Melissa gave me a bag of those. I got it hanging on my office wall. And it's just like these little tiny seeds. I mean, they're so tiny. Um, And then he says, but then he tells them a parable. And this is what I want to get to. Which of you having a slave plowing or tending sheep will say to him when he has come in from the field, come immediately and sit down to eat? But will not... But will he not say to him, prepare something for me to eat and clothe yourself and serve me while I eat and drink and afterwards you may eat and drink? Like, What does that have to do with increasing our faith? And he goes on to say, and he does not thank the servant or the slave because he did these, the things which were commanded, does he? So you too, when you do all these things which are commanded you, say we are unworthy slaves, we have only... We have done only that which we ought to have done. Isn't that strange? Does that hit anybody else strange? Really? Is, are y'all saying yes, it's strange? Okay, all right. So here's, here's what the Lord, I believe, is saying in this. Let's work backwards. So you too, when you do all the things which are commanded you, say, we are unworthy slaves. We have only done that which we ought to have done. When when the Lord tells you to do something, and you go and do what He says, do you think that what He told you to do is going to be possible and going to be manifest and happen if you're doing what He tells you to do? So he wouldn't send you to do something that you're not empowered to do, right? So in the sending, there's power that goes with you. Like when he sent the the 12, they all of a sudden had power that they didn't have. They were actually working under the, the authority that Jesus carried. They were working under his authority, not their own. And so when the Lord says... You're in the grocery store and you hear the Holy Spirit tell you, not because you feel compassion for the person, though God does use that. Not because you feel sorry for the person, not because you want to get a notch on your belt. And you or the or, and I've been here where you feel the pressure that you gotta do something to show that you're walking with God. That's a horrible thing. That's a message, another message. But but because you hear the Lord say, pray for that person. And you go and pray, and when you do it, 
they get healed. Right? Because you went in obedience. You're under the authority of the sending. When I was young, early 20s, excited about God, had prayed for a lot of people even at this point and not seen a lot of healing, I'm in the Godfather's Pizza, which was wonderful pizza back in the day. Man, I miss Godfather's. <laughs> that was so good. <laughs> um, the gas station, by the way, this is important. This is gospel here. The, gas, the Godfathers in the gas stations are not the same as the Godfathers. That, I mean, they are, but they're not. Anyway, so I'm in the Godfathers. I'm sitting down to eat my pizza. I have a buddy that's running the place. He's the manager of the place. He's about my age, maybe a year older than me. And as I go to sit down at the pizza, I have a vision. Like in my mind, I see me walking up to him, laying my hand on his head and rebuking sickness off of him. Well, to be fair, I, I, he, I told, when I came in, he sounded all stopped up. I said, hey, man, you all right? He's like, man, I got this terrible head cold. My head's killing me, you know. So I went and sat down, and I go to sit down to pray to eat over my food, and I see this. I see me coming up, laying hands on his head, and rebuking this thing, and him getting healed. And instantly, I, I, I go into panic attack. <laughs> this place was crowded. This was like the lunch rush, and they had a buffet going on, and this place was just crowded. I did not want to do this. And I'm wrestling with my own self in the chair like is this God is it? of course it was God you, you don't make that kind of who makes that kind of stuff up it's like and I don't even want to do it so I mean I don't even know that's how I know even more it's God it's like I, so I go up to him finally and I and I'm like I lay my hand across the table and I'm looking back and I'm just kind of touching him and because he, he let me pray for him he I said hey can I pray for you and he's like yeah he, and he didn't know what I was going to do I didn't know what I was going to do I didn't know I was in the I was in the in the, that place where I'm still trying to see if I'm going to actually obey God. I'm just inching my way forward to the door, you know, before I jump out. And um, I laid hands on him, and I start praying. And this, I just I felt the conviction. It's like, that's not what you saw. Do only what you see your father doing. He showed me something. And I'm praying, and nothing's happening. And I was like, dang it. And I put my hand on his head, and it scared him because he didn't see this coming. And I said, in the name of Jesus, I rebuke you. Get off him now. He, when I said, amen. It would, and, and he dropped down. He had like a, in his hands, he had a tray full of plates that were clean. And he drops down below the counter because he was like, you know, just terrified of what I just did. Like all these people were watching. I feel embarrassed. He's embarrassed. He drops down, he's unloading this tray, and he's sitting down there. And I can see because I'm at the counter. The rest of the people can't see him because he's hiding. <laughs> and he stands back up. And when he did, his ears popped, his face changed. He's like, oh my God, my head's healed. I'm healed. He got healed instantly. Isn't that awesome? That same night, I had that same type of thing happen where I saw myself going to pulling this guy up out of his wheelchair in, a, in, a, in, a, in a, my uh, cousin's husband's house. His brother had come and shot in the back uh, and was in a wheelchair, and, I, and I, didn't, I didn't do it. I was too afraid. 
It's terrible. I just had this amazing, I felt like Peter, you have this major breakthrough, then you just go and you're hiding from a servant girl. You know, it was horrible, but that guy, golly, I I mean, I I think that guy's still in a wheelchair today. But here's my point. When we follow the Spirit, we will see signs and wonders and miracles. I remember sitting over here having a vision of um, a Melissa's toe growing out. And it scared me. And I'm like, I don't have faith. I, I said to myself, I don't have, I'm thinking to myself, I don't have faith for Melissa's toe to grow out. I mean, that's the thoughts that start hitting you. That's a big miracle. She doesn't have a toe. But I saw it. And I'm scared. Guys, I get scared. I got too much fear man on me. I get up during the meeting, and I'm, we, the Lord starts moving. And I'm like, just obey God. What are you? So I said, Melissa, I saw the Lord healing your toe. And I just said it. I said what I saw. And if I remember, she's not here today, but if I remember, she, oh, she's in the back. She had said something to me that right at that moment that I said that, or at some point during, right before that, the Lord had spoke to her and said he was going to heal her toe. And I just confirmed what the Lord had just spoken to her. I almost didn't do that just because... I, what you know? If I say that and everybody's expecting a toe to grow out, what if it doesn't grow out? You know what I mean? It's like fear. Fear will keep you from obeying the Spirit, and you won't see God move. You want to see God move? Obey what He says. That's the gist of this message. If you want to have faith that moves mountains, all you got to do is do what He says. If you do what He says, you will have success. If you don't do what He says, you won't have success. And at the end of the day, it leaves us in a place that we can't take credit for us. We can't take credit for any of that. I can't heal anybody. And yet God tells me to heal the sick. When he tells you to do it, you're walking under his authority. And you do this. And so at the end of the day, you say, he says, so you too, when you do all these things, what things? Mountain moving faith, which you are commanded Say, we are unworthy slaves. We have only done that which we ought to have done. Obedience is what we should do. And when we obey, we see signs, wonders, and miracles. People look around and they see these men and women or God that are seeing, having signs and wonders and follow. They have gotten into a place in their life that they're just going to obey God. They just don't care. Just obey God. And we look out and we think, oh my God, they're anointed of God. They're so the power of the Holy Spirit. Yes, All that's true, but it's because they've learned how to be dependent upon the Holy Spirit and only do what they see their Father doing. And so the way, the key here for what we have to grow into is we have to mature, and maturity means absolute dependence. When we become dependent upon the Holy Spirit for everything, then that means we're at the highest level of maturity because we're at the place that Jesus did, where Jesus set aside his deity. He set it aside according to Philippians. He emptied himself. And now he operated as a man dependent on the Holy Spirit. And he saw signs, wonders, miracles. God wants to release this. I'm declaring that he is releasing this. And he wants to touch some people today. Anybody need healing? Stand up.